How many of you have plans for lunch today? Let me see your hands. All right. How many of you have uh, plans that you've made for later this week? How many of you have already made your plans for the holidays? How many of you hope to retire one day? Amen. I, hey, I'm only 30 years away. I'm counting down. Right? Many of us have many plans that we make. Whether those plans are made for today, whether those plans are made for tomorrow, or for next week, or for 30 years from now. As we've been walking through the book of James, James is all about fleshing out our faith. James is all about getting down on the practical side of what it means to walk as believers in the world. It's about street level Christianity, how we flesh out our faith. And this text today speaks to us about how we plan our lives. James is not against planning, but he is going to speak to us about the dangers of planning without God and his plan for us. So as we think about today how to make God a daily part of our life, James wants us to understand that we can get so consumed with earthly things that we rarely think about spiritual realities. And this is a text that speaks to every man and woman in the house. And so I pray that it is a passage that God uses to speak into our lives. So let's just begin with prayer, asking the Lord to just speak into our hearts this morning. Will you join me in prayer? Father, as we approach the Word of God today, we do so asking that your precious Holy Spirit would be our teacher today. May our minds not be consumed with other things, with earthly things. And may over the next few moments, the Spirit of God have free reign to speak into our lives. I pray, Father, as always, your word would guide. And, oh, Father, may your spirit teach. And may your glory be our chief concern. In the name of Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. James is giving us today in this text some practical counsel. And so I just want to walk through the practical counsel that he gives with us this morning. All right, number one, don't boast about things you don't control. Don't boast about things you don't control. That's what James is saying in verses 13 and 14. James is a master illustrator. And so James pictures some merchants who are planning their future. Neither their plans nor their profits are condemned. They are boasting about the fact that in their opinion, time belonged to them. So they considered the next day and the next year as theirs 
to direct. And they were so sure of themselves that they spoke of what they would do. They spoke of where they would go and the profit that they would make. And they did so without any restraint. They assumed that they could forecast what they were going to do on every day. They made plans without taking God into consideration. And it is to that that James tells us. He says, you have no knowledge of tomorrow. James in this text is reminding us that we are not God. We cannot control the future because we're not God. James is saying, you're not God, I'm not God, we are not God. Now you may be thinking, Pastor, I know I'm not God. What's the matter with you? Well, beloved, we may not claim that we know God, but we can certainly act like we are God. We may not claim that we are God, but we may often act like we are. We may often act like we know everything, like we control all things, like we control what will happen tomorrow. We are fools if we think we control, we can control any minute of the future. James says, our lives exist for a moment and then they fade away. I heard someone say a couple of weeks ago that studies show that kids will spend their entire inheritance that they receive from their parents in less than 90 days. That is why Bob and Eloise and many of our seniors are in Rome today on a cruise, right? (laughs) Go on that trip while you can. Spend it while you can, because when your kids get it, it's gone in three months. You and I have no knowledge of tomorrow. James says you and I have no assurance of a long life. Notice he asked the question, what is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Now, is James trying to minimize our existence? Right? Is he against planning for the future? Is he just reminding us that death is inevitable? No, that's not his point at all. James is actually highlighting the importance of our life and the time that we have been given. And James is actually pleading with us. To make the days count. That all we have is right now. This single moment. And that's why he says that we're like a mist. That appears for a little while. And then vanishes away. James says life is fading. Insecure. That you and I are like a vapor. We appear for just a moment and then we are gone. I'll tell you what it's like. The kids understand this. right? It, it, it's like children you know, who go out on Halloween and they gather up a, um, uh, my, my goodness, um, uh, a pillowcase full of candy. 
right? And so you get home and you dump it out on the floor and it's like piles and piles and piles of candy. And then all of a sudden it's gone. And the parents have gained five pounds, right? It just disappeared. James says life is as transitory as a puff of smoke. Life is as short as the steam that rises from a hot cup of coffee in the morning. Life is as short as your breath that you can see outside on a cold day. Dear ones, how foolish it would be knowing that to live a life without Jesus Christ. The Bible says death is the certainty of every man. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 2 that death is the destiny of every man. Death is no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter how well you feel. It doesn't matter the kind of shape that you might be in. No one can escape the certainty of death. One out of one people die. We like to think of things we do in this life as significant. But you know, the truth of the matter is, in 50 years, the people who are members of this church will not know of the sacrifices that so many have made so that we could have these two buildings here in our our Eagle Point campus. fact remains in 20-25 years, people will not even know that Derek Staples was the pastor of this church. If I mention today the names of James Sherman or Charles Fairbanks or Thomas Marshall or Henry Wallace or Charles Curtis or Charles Garner, I wonder how many people would recognize them as past Vice Presidents of the United States. James asks the question, what is your life? And his answer, you are a mist. You're a shadow. You're a vapor. By the way, the word for mist is is actually, it speaks of like a fog or a, a, a smoke. It's here, and it's gone. Your life is short. So James is saying right off the bat, don't boast about things that you don't control. Then he goes on. He, He says also, don't plan your life with you in mind. Right? I mean, look look at verse 15. He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. There is a Latin phrase that was prominent with the Puritans. It was a Latin phrase called Deo Valente. Deo Valente is Latin for God willing. Right? And so it became so prominent among the Puritans that they would actually, when they were writing a letter to someone, they would uh, conclude with the initials D.V. 
And so Deo Valente became a common phrase among the Puritans, among believers. God willing, God willing, God willing, God willing. But then all of a sudden some people thought, well, it's just going to become cliché. And so they quit. Now it's a phrase that is never repeated at all. We cannot help but wonder if it's not being repeated today because of the influence of the modern world upon our lives. Now, don't miss what James is saying. Is James saying that if we say God willing, that everything is automatically going to be okay? Is everything automatically okay for you all the time? No. It's the attitude behind the words that matters. James is saying you must put your hope and your faith and your trust and your desire in the Lord. You must be submissive to His will for your life. You must be submissive to His plans for your life. How many of you guys have ever been to Mammoth Cave before? Right? It's one of the great wonders. Many of you have. It's in the great state of Kentucky. If you've never been, that is a vacation you need to take. Mammoth Cave is incredible. Take your children. Um, your kids will absolutely love Mammoth Cave. They will take them in groups, whether that group is just a small number of a few, right? Or whether it's even a large group. So I remember the first time I went to Mammoth Cave, it was a school trip. Right? We got to have a sack lunch and we got to ride on the bus and we rode down uh, to Mammoth Cave, which was about an hour and a half from my home, and uh, went through Mammoth Cave. And what they do is that they get you and they bring you together and they bring you right to the mouth of the cave. Right, And so you've got one tour guide that's in the front. And then the tour guide makes this statement before you enter the cave. Make sure you stay close to your guide. Why? Because it can get so dark in places in Mammoth Cave that you can't see where you're going. So it's important to know that you are being guided by someone who knows the cave. Someone that you trust. I guess the question for us today would be, do we trust God. Do we really trust God? Do we trust His will? Do we trust His desire? Do we trust His plans for our lives? Right? It's like saying, I'm going to marry that person if the Lord wills. I'm going to go to that school if the Lord wills. I'm, I'm going to have this many children if the Lord wills. I'm going to retire at this age if the Lord wills. I'm going to buy that big truck if my wife wills. I mean, if the Lord wills. Right? Don't plan your life with you in mind. James is saying, plan your life with God in mind. Because if you miss this, the potential for you and I having to pay a high price is great. You say, Pastor, can you prove that? Yes. In Luke 12, Jesus told a parable about a man whose prosperity was so great. This is what he said. 
He said, I, I'm going to tear down these barns and I'm going to build even bigger barns. I'm going to build bigger and bigger and bigger barns and I'm going to store up 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 and I'm going to hoard and hoard and hoard and hoard. And then what am I going to do? I'm going to spend the rest of my life in great luxury saying eat, drink, and be merry. Because look what all I've done. Look what all I've made. And if you know that parable... You know how Jesus ends the parable. What are the words? You what? You fool. This very night, your life will be required of you. Don't plan your life with you in mind. Plan your life with God in mind. Now, at the conclusion, we're going to show you real quickly how to do that. The third thing that James tells us is if you're going to boast, don't boast in anything but Jesus. Right? Don't boast in anything but Jesus. Look what he says in verse 16. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. Right? All such boasting is evil. So instead of doing what the Lord wills, they were boasting in their own plans. So instead of submitting to the Lord, you know what they were doing? They were trusting in themselves. And that, dear ones, is the heart of the problem. That is the ultimate sign of arrogance. These people were not only depending on themselves, they were boasting in themselves. Boy, look at how much money I've made. Look at my accomplishments. Look at that car that I drive. See my house. Look what all my hands have done. James says all such boasting. And notice this. He doesn't say all such boasting is not bad. He doesn't say all such boasting is less than ideal. He doesn't say all such boasting is not God's best. He says all such boasting is evil. Evil. It's evil. It's evil to boast on our plans and boast in what we can do by our own strength. And by our own power. The greatest of the Babylonian kings learned this the hard way. If you remember from Daniel 4, as he walked one bright day on his palace, Nebuchadnezzar looked over the beauty of the city that he built, and in his great pride he could not contain himself. And so he said, Is this not great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? But if you know the text, you know the very next verse says, While the words were still in his mouth, he was judged by God. So much so that Nebuchadnezzar fell to the ground on all fours and started acting like an ox and eating grass until finally years later he came to his senses. Beloved, if God did this with a pagan king, how much more will he deal with us in our own arrogance? 
If God would do that to a pagan king, what would he do to us who profess to love him and know him? May we be like the Apostle Paul who said, May I never boast in anything except the cross of Jesus Christ because it's to him that I've died to all things to live for Jesus. Number four, don't disregard, James says, your God-given impulses. Right? So it's in this last verse that he says, Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now make sure that you keep this in mind. This is a person who believes in God. Right? James is describing a person who believes in God, who believes that God is sovereign, who believes that God has a will, and they just don't do it. Here is a person who knows what is good, who knows what is morally right, who knows what is worthy of honor, who knows what is righteous, who knows what is upright, who knows what's right, and he just doesn't do it. And the truth of the matter is, every single one of us in this room have found ourselves at that point, at some place in our life from time to time. It's what's called the sin of omission. Right? The sin of commission is when you, you know, do something you're forbidden to do. You commit Sin, but the sin of omission is not doing what you know you should do. What you know God tells you to do. Right? It's, it's very simple. When the scripture says to love your neighbor and we don't, that is the sin of omission. When it says in the scriptures that we are to be ambassadors for Christ and we never speak of his name in public, that's a sin of omission. When it says in the scriptures that we are to be sacrificial in our giving and we don't, that is a sin of omission. When it says in the scriptures that we are to forgive and we don't, that is a sin of omission. Church, we cannot treat God's design for our lives as something that we can either accept or reject. I know God says that this is the way I'm supposed to live. I'm just not going to do it. I know God says that this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I'm supposed to say. This is how I'm supposed to think. This is how I'm supposed to act. But I just prefer to think this way, to act this way, to live this way, to do what I want regardless of what I know it says I'm to do as a believer. I know it. I just choose not to. There have been times in my life when I've been there. And as a result, I know what happens to Christians when they intentionally disobey God. I have felt the wrath of the Holy Spirit upon my own heart. I have felt the Spirit of God driving me to my knees in repentance. And if you've been a believer for longer than a minute, I, my guess is you have as well been at that point. Beloved, if we can knowingly reject God's 
will for our lives, God's purposes for our lives, God's plans for our lives, if we can know them and yet choose not to do them, and we not feel the chastisement of the Spirit of God, hear me today, that is one of the greatest evidences that you may not be born again. If I can deliberately, knowingly sin against God over and over and over and over again and not feel the chastisement of the Spirit of God, I better work out my salvation with fear and trembling. If you knew that today or tomorrow or next week were your final moments, what would you do? What if God granted to every person in this room the ability to know exactly when their final moment would be? Whether that's today or tomorrow or next week. What would you do? Who would you call? Who would you go see? Would you spend your final days worrying about your house or your car or your work? Or would you go see your dad? Would you go see your son? Would you call a friend? And better yet, would you make certain in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord? There are many things I don't know. But there are some things I do know. I know that every one of us are created in the image of God. That we are image bearers. That God has created us. That God has designed us to know Him and love Him and reflect Him to the world. And I know that we are living in a state of rebellion. That we are sinners, the Bible says. That our sin has separated us from God. And so we are sinners by nature and by choice. And that the wages of our sin is death, physical death, eternal death. I know that Jesus Christ... is a great Savior. I know that Jesus Christ loved us when we were unlovable. That Jesus Christ died for us when we didn't care for Him at all. And that's why our choir was able to sing what a beautiful Redeemer He is. 
I know that Jesus Christ conquered death, hell, and the grave so that every man, woman, boy, and girl who would choose to turn from their sin and place their faith in Jesus Christ can have the certainty of eternal life. I know that every person who turns from their sin and says, Lord Jesus, I cling to you, forgive me, cleanse me. And from this day forward, I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. And I know that when we commit our lives to Jesus Christ, we may not know what today or tomorrow or next week or next month or next year brings, but hallelujah and praise God, we have a living hope. We have an inheritance. Peter says it cannot perish, spoil, or fade away. It is reserved in heaven for us who are protected by the power of God for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. And dear ones, that is a certainty that you can know. Death is a certainty, but eternal life is a certainty for everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ. That is the beauty of the gospel. I beg you today, don't walk out of this auditorium without that certainty in your heart. Don't walk out of that Bible study class this afternoon wondering whether or not I am in Christ Jesus. No. No. For certain. 1 John 5.13, I write to you these things who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And I beg you to nail that today. Now let me just say a word before we close to all the believers in the house this morning. How do I make God a daily part of my life? How do I apply Deo Valente to my own heart? And in my own life. Let me give you four real practical things real quick. Number one, be willing to do whatever God wants you to do. Right? Just be willing to do whatever God wants you to do. And Jesus understood that. John 7 verse 17, If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking of my own authority. I can't express to us enough the importance of just there being a willingness in us to follow God. I'm going to do whatever God wants me to do. Secondly, seek God's will as you pray. Right? Let your requests be made known to God. And as you're seeking God's face, ask Him. I mean, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be opened. You ask, you'll receive, you seek, you'll find, you knock and the door will be opened to you, Jesus said. Pray. Number three, get in the Scriptures. Get in the Scriptures. I mean, if we believe that the Bible is the Word of God... <laughs> And it only makes sense that it is in the pages of sacred scripture that we can discover the will of God for our lives, the plan of God for our lives. Like the psalmist, your word is a lamp unto my feet, it's a light unto my path. 
And then fourthly and finally, seek wise counsel. Proverbs 13.20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Find yourself some godly men and women and seek their counsel when you're addressing issues, when you're praying through God's will for your life. Speak to some people that you trust, that you know walk with Christ, and seek counsel from them. These are some steps, I believe, that will ensure God's will is the 